0: Thank you, Steve. Great to be here with you. Uh, Janie said already, my cheeks hurt hers. Mine do too. We're just smiling about everything and uh, so great to see everyone. Um, Love all the hugs. We're we're real huggers, so that's good stuff. We did spend uh, we spent a number of years here at Highlands Baptist Church. Just uh, maybe a a brief little synopsis. I've joined Highlands Baptist Church three times, Um, and it's never been a fault of Highlands Baptist Church that uh, we were we left. But uh, that's been kind of our history here. We've kind of followed what's uh, what's happened, what's uh, going on. We keep up with things. We have such good friends here, so it's been a, a a real pleasure to be back. We several years ago, about three and a half years ago, uh, Janie's mom was uh, getting up in years. In fact, she turned 91 this year. We uh, moved back to be able to uh, provide some extra assistance for her. Uh, It was wonderful. We had a son who lived in Greenville at the time, and two of our other sons, who actually uh, are both in ministry, uh, have ended up in the Greenville area, in churches in the Greenville area. So uh, three of the four boys, Eric, uh, is the prodigal who has not yet returned home. Uh, but we're 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 uh, try, we're working on him. So um, he's gotten snagged up there in Michigan. So uh, he hangs out there. But uh, we we've, we've just uh, felt it a real privilege to be able to be there to provide that type of care uh, for Jamie's mom to be around uh, our three boys, three of the boys, uh, five of the grandchildren. So I know I know it's hard to believe I have five grandchildren as young as I look, but it is true. Well, we have seven altogether. So uh, five that are in the Greenville area, but we're really enjoying that opportunity. We never really thought of the since uh, three of the boys were in ministry, we never really thought of the opportunity to all be in the same city together and talk about the Lord's blessing. That's uh, been uh, one of those great blessings for us. So we've really enjoyed that. We've been, we were looking forward, we've been looking forward to uh, getting back out to Colorado. Um, it's been great. We had a short list, well, medium-sized list of, of things we needed to do while we were here. Uh, a lot of them involved food, um, places that we had to, to eat. Um, and within the first 24 hours, we had wiped out that list. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, let me just recount it for you. Thursday night, Lucky Dog, um, Lamar's Donuts on Friday morning, Muddy um, Bucks, Cinnamon Roll at Muddy Bucks. If you've not been to Muddy Bucks to have the cinnamon roll, uh, you have to do that, okay? Uh, Lost Dos. Mexican on uh, Friday for lunch, and old Chicago Italian for Friday night supper. By the time I got back to the house, um, well, let's just say that's probably not the best way to go about things. But uh, it was—it's been—it's been a whirlwind trip already. And then, of course, to have the snow yesterday was uh, it was just like icing on the cake. We actually got to go downtown last night with uh, the Schnarskis, Dave and Joe, and I know uh, many of you know them. And uh, we had a wonderful time downtown, uh, and, and so it's been really a great trip. This has been the, uh, the focus of uh, excitement for us to be able to be, though, with you folks on Sunday morning to worship together and to have the opportunity to open the Word with you. So let's do that. Steve gave me my marching orders that included time frames um, which he I don't know why he gave me those. he knows I never pay attention to those but uh, I'm going to do my best to work within within those parameters. so if you have your Bible let's go to Philippians chapter one and I want us to spend a little bit of time with this uh, with this text. Um, when we first arrived in in uh, Greenville we attending a church and that church had approached us and gave us the opportunity to take over a Young Families class. that Young Families class was working through D.A. Carson's book on the prayers of Paul. And I've been through that book uh, several times. And so as I took over that class, um, I began to think, I think I'd rather, instead of using D.A. Carson's uh, time frames uh, as far as the week-to-week, I'd like to just spend some time, settle down in a couple of these texts. Sean and I have had this discussion many times about the book versus the Bible and, you know, those kinds of things. So I tend to lean in, hey, let's, let's just really get into that text. So we, we did that, and, and two of these texts have really stuck with me. Uh, since I had the opportunity to teach through them again. This one, Philippians chapter 1, being being one of the primary ones. And then uh, the Ephesians, Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in chapter 3, which I hope that we'll have the time to look at uh, downstairs uh, with the men. Um, I want to try to address that text just a little bit. I want to do two, a couple things here this morning with this text. Um, I really have come to be more and more convinced that Paul didn't just share these prayers or these prayer reports to encourage people, hey, I'm praying for you. I think what he was really doing was using them as a broad interpretive key to understand the rest of the writing of the book. So understanding the prayer that Paul prays here that he gives us, the, the report that he gives us, I think is absolutely essential to catching the broad view of what Paul is trying to say to these Philippian believers. So it's well worth our time to take some uh, time this morning to spend uh, in this passage. So let's... Probe this passage and let's probe it in a couple ways at least, probably all we'll have time for. But let's probe it first of all from its immediate context. We didn't read the verses that immediately precede this, and we should, because there's some really important things to understanding the prayer itself uh, that Paul gives us in the verses that Steve read for us. So let's take a look there. Beginning verse 3, it says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. I don't know about you, but as I read that, I would begin to sense, okay, the next thing that Paul's going to do is give me a report of that prayer. He's going to maybe give me his prayer list. So as I read this about his enthusiasm in praying for this church and the joy that that brought him, I'm caught a little bit short when the next thing he says in verse 5 is, because of your partnership in the gospel. But it makes absolutely good sense. In other words, I think what Paul is going to do, which Paul is famous for doing, is to make a bit of a digression here. He's going to say, listen, I'm praying for you, and when I think of you, I always pray for you. It brings up great joy to me to think about you. And let me tell you why. And he gives us two reasons why it brought joy to Paul's heart to pray for and to think of this church. In verse 5 he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So this could mean that Paul is saying, hey, from the very day that you received the gospel of Jesus Christ yourself, you accepted that message as I delivered it there in Philippi, I'm thinking about you now as being partners with me together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The other way this passage, though, this this idea could be considered is that Paul is actually saying to them what brings him great joy is the fact that they have participated with him in the gospel ministry. Not only in Paul's ministry personally, by sending gifts and sustaining him and supporting him, but by their actual activity of the gospel in Philippi themselves. Now I think that Paul probably has probably both of these things in mind. Paul's pretty famous at being somewhat ambiguous as he speaks, purposely so, and I think this might be one of those passages where when he thinks of the Philippian believers... What fills his heart and his mind about them is a sense of joy because he can remember back to that day when he delivered the message of the gospel and there was a receptive ear to it among those people. That, that should bring anybody great joy. But I think also it probably has to do with the fact that he's thinking about their involvement in sharing the gospel and communicating the gospel, even in suffering for the gospel just as he is in Philippi. So the first thing that fills his heart with joy about them was their partnership in the gospel. But he goes on to say in verse six, there's a second reason, and the second reason is this: and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will be will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So the second thing that filled Paul's heart with joy and, and really motivated his his desire to pray for them was that he knew that God had begun a work in their lives and that he was continuing to do that work. It's kind of the already not yet of the gospel. Already they had received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Already he was Lord of their lives, but he knew that God was not only doing that work in their lives now, but would continue to do that work until the day of Jesus Christ. That brought Paul great joy, brought him really, um, the, that motivated him to want to pray for these believers. And so once we get through those two ideas, we now begin to get a sense for, well, what motivated Paul's desire to pray and his joy for these people? It was these, this partnership that they shared in the gospel. It was this fact that God was at work in their lives. And now I'm thinking, okay, now, now we're going to get to the prayer. But do you notice there's a couple verses left? Because Paul makes even a further digression, beginning in verse eight um, or verse seven, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense of the and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So it's as if Paul says, listen, I'm confident that this God has begun a work in your life. He's going to continue it on out to the day of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I have every right to believe this about you. And the reason I have every right to believe this about you is because I can see the fruit of that work in your lives. You are standing with me in the defense and confirmation of the gospel." In fact, what Paul seems to be saying to these believers is that, hey, I'm about to face one of the greatest trials of my life, a tribunal before the Roman council to give a a witness to and a defense of my belief in Jesus Christ. But I know that while I'm doing that in my place, you're doing that in your place in Philippi. And so I know that, God, I've seen that grace. I've seen that at work in your lives, just as it's in work in my life. And that was indicative to Paul that these Philippian believers were indeed, God had begun a work in them and was continuing that work unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now, before we move on to discuss the content of this prayer, I want to stop for a minute and think about what's going on here You know, some people have thought, and I've read and heard, that Paul here was simply expressing gratefulness to the Philippian church for the gift that they had sent. We know that Philippians has a lot to do with that. In fact, at the end of the book, he's going to really give out that thanks to them. He's going to really state it directly to them. Some have thought that this is simply Paul, maybe with a little bit of flattery, maybe with a little bit of um, uh, going a little bit over the top, is thanking them, beginning to thank them for the gift that they sent. But what I'd like to, to suggest to you is that what's really going on here is that Paul is underlying the surface of this, these verses is Paul's ecclesiology. And that ecclesiology is bumble, bubbling up to the top. And in Paul's ecclesiology, two things are true of the church. Number one, the church is a place where God is at work in the lives of people. I don't know if you've thought much about that. You know, sometimes I I feel like we, we, we get ready to go to church. We go on Sunday morning. It's kind of in our weekly schedule. We know how that's going to work. We come to church. I wonder how large our thoughts are about church when we come. I wonder how often we stop to think about, I'm about to enter a place where God is present and God is at work. He's active. He's doing things. He's working in people's lives. He's bringing people from where he began that work in their lives, he's continuing that through their lives, and he's working it on out into eternity. The church for Paul was a place where where God was at work. You know, there is no other place really where we gather with other people where God has put his stamp of approval and said, that is where I work. That is where I do things in the lives of people. I think that's a pretty exciting thing, that when we gather together, Jesus Christ said, In the book of Matthew, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Well, what is he doing in our midst? He's at work. He's shaping us. He's molding us. He's bringing us from one stage of glory, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He's bringing us from one stage of glory to another stage of glory to another stage of glory. Step by step, we're being formed into the image of Jesus Christ. And guess what he's doing? He's doing that through all of the means that he has available to him through his church. Through the Word. Through the Holy Spirit as he ministers that Word to us. Through individuals, as we interact with each other, we have the opportunity to to have a, a a hand in the work that God is doing in the lives of other people. But not only is the place, as the church, a place where God is at work, but I'd like to suggest that in Paul's ecclesiology, the church is also a place where the work of God is done. That's a pretty neat thing, too. The church is the place where, where God's work is done. We have the, um, we're having the opportunity to stay at uh, Rick and Maria Jory's home. I don't know if you know the Jory's. Um, if you haven't met the Jory's, you need to meet the Jory's. Janie and I have never had the privilege of meeting the Jory's, but when you live in someone's home for any length of time, it's funny how you get to know people. And uh, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to actually meet them personally uh, because um, we've learned some things about them. But one thing that's really exciting to me about the Joris is that, uh, and and most of you probably know this, but they are are in Vietnam uh, right now. They do two months a year in missionary service in Vietnam. They're there in Vietnam, serving the Lord, doing the work of the ministry. They are an extension of Highlands Baptist Church. They are a part of the light that is here. They have carried that light there to be in ministry. The church is a place where the work of God is done. And when we gather in this place, you know what, I... So when I was in ministry, I I had responsibility for a lot of administrative things. It was easy to think about church as administrative. So when I walk into when I would walk into a room like this uh, for a service, I would look at all the things, and I would, to, my, to my dismay, sometimes I would see, oh, that's, not, that's out of place. Oh, that needs to be taken care of. Oh, I, need to, I should have gotten someone to do something about that. So easy to get involved in those aspects of church. I don't want us to miss Paul's ecclesiology, our ecclesiology. The church is a place where God is at work and where the work of God is being done. This um, this morning, uh, Jamie and I were getting ready to come over, and and we have a we have a small group that we're a part of uh, in in Greenville from our church, and um, it's a it's a great little church, about 200 people, lots of young people there. Um, we're 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 by far okay, we're by far the oldest people in that congregation. And uh, we, meet for, we meet for our small group and, um, um, boy, it sets us back years, you know, to think about the things that they talk about and the things that they're concerned about, which is, which is right, which is good. But this morning we received an email from uh, one of the members of our small group just saying, hey, we are thinking about you, we're praying for you. Do you know what? That meant a lot to us. That is the work of the ministry being done, and that's what the church is about. And the reason I wanted to take a little bit of time to maybe open that, that idea up to us is that this part of the prayer report that Paul gives is so valuable because it leads us to ask the question, well, if that is the importance of the church, the place where God is working and the place where the work of God is being done, then what kind of prayer needs to be prayed for people who are part of that church? Now we finally get to then what Paul had to say about that. So let's probe a little bit deeper and look then secondly at the content of this prayer. Beginning in verse 9, Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve things that are excellent. So to be honest with you, this is, this is a, this is a challenging uh, set of verses. There's a lot of overlap being semantics in this passage with the words that Paul is using. Let me just walk you through quickly how I kind of see it structured and then, and then let's talk about what Paul is actually maybe doing here. So in verse nine, he uses the idea. He says, "I am praying that your love may abound." So we're familiar with the concept of love. Uh, Paul uses it quite a, quite a bit in his writings. I think for Paul, and I, I I believe that that for Paul, love was a broader term. It's not just a single virtue sitting in a list of virtues. It, I think it's actually a broader. Term for him, I think it actually incorporates a way of living, a an outlook on life. It would be a part, a, an important part of a worldview. So I think that, that this is a, a larger piece that Paul is saying. So he wants them, he wants their love to do something. He says, I want you that love to abound more and more. And then he says, I want to, that love to abound with knowledge and all discernment. So we start to get into a couple words that Paul is using. I want to take just a minute, and I don't have that long, but I want to just give you an idea. For me, the word knowledge here carries the idea, I think we can almost think of it like this, as a data point. And the scriptures are full of data points. And as we read through the Bible, we are collecting these data points. They're data points that have to do with what God is doing and who God is and what God is like and how we work with people and how we should look at different things in life. And so we're gathering all of these data points that are important to us. And Paul says, I want your love to be increasing. I want it to be abounding. I want it to be growing but I want it to be growing in a certain direction. I want it to be growing by means of the, this knowledge, these data points. As you take in the Word of God, you're, you're collecting this information that you're going to need in order for your love to abound. And then he says, not only in all knowledge, but he uses the word discernment. He says that I want it to abound with knowledge in all discernment. The word discernment here is a word that carries the idea of being able to distinguish between things that differ. I think think really the concept, as as, as it hits me, is that Paul is praying that they would add to these data points insight, that insight would come from them that they would have a broader, deeper way of looking at life, of understanding life circumstances. In fact, what I think what Paul is really getting at here is that this love that he wants them to have is to be growing, and the mechanism for growth is to be an infusion of these data points and then the mixing of these data points that give great in, greater insight into life. Kind of like, kind of like when you steep a tea bag in hot water. As that tea bag goes into the water, the contents of that tea bag begins to, to seep out of the tea bag, begins to interact with the water, and begins to release its, its flavors and its, its aromas. And it, and it starts to become, that water starts to become infused with and if you leave it there long enough, it takes on a depth of... I mean, hot water really isn't very good, to be honest with you. But hot water that's been steeped in a, a great tea, as after, a, after a period of time, it, it, it takes on a new depth of, of flavor. And I think what Paul is praying for these believers was that as they spend time in the Word as they take on board the data points of God's Word and God's truth, and as those things begin to interact and intermingle and infuse their lives, there are new insights that come to be. Haven't you you experienced that? Haven't you been reading in a passage of Scripture, and, and then as you read that, all of a sudden, another passage jumps into your mind. Maybe something you hadn't really even thought of before, but now you see how those two things correlate. And when you see how those two things correlate, it gives kind of a, it opens up like a, like a depth of, of vision that you hadn't really seen before. Do you remember, remember years ago, now I'm really going back um, to, I probably shouldn't go here, but, They they had those pictures, they put them in newspapers, there were books you could get, and you were supposed to hold them up close to your face, and it was all squiggly lines and everything, and then as you were supposed to stare at it and as you moved it away, there was supposed to be an image that opened up and and went deep, and, and, and 3D, you guys have the look that I have when I looked at that thing, kind of like, what in the world are you talking about? I'm holding it, I'm staring, I'm moving, nothing's happening. But every once in a while I would get one to work and and there was like a hidden picture inside this, this just mess of colors. And I think what Paul is driving at here is that concept. I want your love to be abounding more and more. And that abounding is going to take place as you as you take in the Word of God and as you you think about and meditate upon the truths of God's Word. And then as you begin to combine those truths and you begin to see how they interact with one another and how one author, hundreds of years later, picks up a piece of what maybe a prophet wrote and you begin to see how it works. And you know what happens when that's happening? We're beginning to get a depth of vision as to what God is at work doing in our world and what my position and my part in that is. And then Paul ends this this piece by saying, so that you may approve things that are excellent. So the word approve there is semantically, it's in the same semantic range as the word discernment. It carries the idea of putting something to the test for the idea of determining the differences between one thing and another. And so Paul, again, adds to this idea that he wants them to be able to, to look at things, see how they differ, see them in light of God's eternal plan and purpose, and then to be able to choose the excellent thing. The thing that differs, the superior thing. I think what Paul is really praying for here is that these Philippian believers, as they as they spend time in the Word, and as they live out their Christian testimony, and as they as they share the gospel and and participate in Paul's ministry of the gospel, that they too would broaden and deepen and become more absorbed with the Word of God, that it would become, it would become, uh, they would be infused with that word. And they would begin to think in terms of God's Word. And so as they face life circumstances, they would no longer see them from, from a earthly set of values, but now we begin to see them from a heavenly set of values. Because after all, Paul's gonna say, you're not, you're not just citizens of an earthly kingdom, you are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And people who are citizens of a heavenly kingdom look at life differently, approach life differently. But that only happens as we, as we spend time and take in the word and allow it to infuse our lives and become a very part of the fabric of our lives. Jamie and I, um, several years ago, got into cooking shows. We loved to watch cooking shows. Um, and so our favorite cooking show was... Uh, what was our favorite cooking show? Yeah, Chopped. I wanted to somehow engage her in the message. So Chopped is a great show. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen it. Lots of reruns now of Chopped, and we watch all the reruns because it's just, it's just a cool show. So basically, four chefs um, are being challenged to prepare entrees, um, an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert, and they get eliminated each round. So there's just one left, and they're the chopped champion. The cool thing about chopped is that when they start, they, open, they have a basket in front of them. They open the basket, and they, they take things out of the basket. It's usually four or five food items, stuff you've never heard of, stuff you would never eat in a million years. Uh, even, there are even chefs who are judging them who say, I don't even know what I would do with that. Some of it's prepared stuff. Uh, It's just all kinds of stuff. But the, the goal is they have to take those prepared, those items, prepared or not, and then they have to create a composed dish out of it. So they have to take those items, do something to them, and then present the judge a composed dish. Do you know, it's amazing to me, if you've never seen that show or if you have, what happens within just moments of them opening the basket and being given 15 minutes to prepare an appetizer. Do you know what's going on in the mind of a chef? (laughs) A lot of things going on, I'm sure. But one of the things that's happening is that they are drawing upon every bit of training, everything they know about cooking, everything they know about flavor profiles, how to use certain cooking styles, whether they should bake something, fry something, put it in the oven. Okay, I'm beyond my cooking uh, terminology. All right, so they they have to, within minutes, figure out how they're going to take those five items, four or five items, combine them into something, and then present within that time frame a a dish to be judged. Do you know what? I love that picture of that. Because I think that's what Paul is praying for here. Do you know how often in a day we face circumstances in life that are like opening that basket and pulling out four or five items that we have no idea how we're going to put and use and make something of. And as that chef has to draw on all of that background and all of that experience and their personality and all that goes into that, so we have to make choices in life. And what Paul, I think was praying for for these Philippian believers was is that they would their love would abound more and more with this infused knowledge and insight so that they would be able, in a moment's notice, given a certain set of circumstances that they had not even been able to foresee, be able to choose a path that's in line with God's overall purpose and plan and furthers that plan and furthers the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a tremendous prayer. But it doesn't end there one last thing, because he ends by saying to them in verse 10, so that you may approve things that are excellent. And if you will do this, if you will allow your love to grow more and more, be infused with insight from the Word of God, approve things and make choices that are excellent, if you will do that, then you will be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. And what that means is filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ the ultimate end of it is to the glory and the praise of God. How do you live a life that is to the praise and the glory of God? How do we today, 2024, Highlands Baptist Church, Highlands Ranch, Colorado, Greenville Community Church, Greenville, South Carolina, How do we live a life that is to the praise and the glory of God? I think we need to be praying for one another. Lord, fill our lives with your word. Give us a depth of understanding and insight so that when it comes time to have to make those choices between things that differ, we would be able to make those choices that honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Further the gospel. That's a a worthy prayer. What kind of circumstances require that? That's what Paul is going to develop in the rest of the book. So now as you think through the book of Philippians and you think through the, the issues that Paul is going to deal with, think of them as the circumstances in which Paul is desiring that their love would abound and their ability to be decisive, to be discerning. And to make choices is going to, is going to play itself out. That's how we're going to be to the praise and the glory of God and to be filled with the fruits of righteousness.